0: Today we're gonna begin a new journey. We're gonna take three weeks and we're gonna study the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon is a small book and it's a very personal story or a very personal letter from the apostle Paul to a man named Philemon. One of the things I like about this is is I, I think that we can gain some unique insight I hesitate just to refer to Paul and Philemon and Onesimus as historical figures because they are in God's word. They, they are used of God. They, uh, they, they and God's word is living and alive, but Onesimus, Paul, and Philemon are all physically dead, okay? They are with the Lord in heaven. And so from our perspective on earth, they are historical figures. And there's something about reading the actual words of historical figures that makes a difference. As, as an As an example, I have just finished reading a book called In the Hands of Providence. And the book In the Hands of Providence is really the story primarily of George Washington and how God's hand was upon him in a miraculous way. How he humbled himself and sought the Lord's leadership uh, as a young man as he first, uh, God first used him and and developed him and was growing him. There's incredible stories about how God protected him. And, you know, some of those stories that maybe we learned in elementary school may be more myth than truth. But there is a lot of incredible truth to the hand of, of what Washington often referred to as providence. Uh, as he referred to God, though often there are times when he referred to Christ as God. Uh, and yet you can hear historians say that. But it's a little bit different if you can go read it in their own words. In fact, there's a pushback in our country today and even among churches to say that, well, the United States of America really wasn't founded upon Christian principles. Yes, it was. Go read the words of the founders. Go read the words of of those who preceded the founders and those in the early uh, American fathers. Read their words. Read the words of Samuel Adams. Specifically, and this is one quote I pulled out just for today. Samuel Adams, everybody knows the name because he made a bunch of beer up in Boston, right? Uh, that's where you know today we know him from. Samuel Adams, one of the early fathers of our nation, wrote these words after the British had had taken over uh, in Philadelphia, which had been the capital of the United States for a long time. For a couple years, they'd been in Philadelphia. They, the British were eventually driven out. They moved back to Manhattan Island where, where they, they, the, they had kind of set up their base of operations. And as Samuel Adams was going back into Philadelphia, he said, thanks be to the God of heaven for the great things he has done for America and fervently pray that she may be virtuous without which she cannot long enjoy the blessings of freedom. Those aren't a historian's words of what Samuel Adams thought. Those are his words. And when you read the actual words written, written by their own hand, and, and you get to see the heart of a person in a new way. And so I encourage you, go to the original sources when you can. Go read Washington's words. Go read the proclamations of the Constitutional Convention over and over and over where they called the nation to to days of prayer, fasting, and humiliation, they called it, to humble ourselves before Almighty God time and time and time again. That's, That's the founding. But you find it in the original words. You may not even find it in history books today. But you'll find it in the original words. When we go to Philemon, we're not just looking at what Paul says, what he's teaching, we're seeing a letter from Paul to a beloved friend concerning another beloved friend. And so we get a little bit of insight into the heart of the apostle Paul at this point. Let me give you just a little bit more background. Paul is more than likely writing this letter from Rome. He was, uh, there were three, Major imprisonments that, where Paul spent a major amount of time in prison. And so there's some question among scholars about where Paul, which imprisonment Paul wrote Philemon from. There's no question that he wrote Philemon from prison. But all the evidence suggests, and, and church history suggests, that Paul wrote Philemon from Rome in one of his latter imprisonments. And so he writes this letter uh, from Rome and has it delivered to, uh, Philemon, who resides in the Lycus Valley, it's a river valley outside of Ephesus. Paul likely had led Philemon to the Lord uh, while he was living in Ephesus and evangelizing in that area, okay? So Philemon is a man whom God had led to the Lord, a wealthy man who we're gonna learn had a church that met in his home. This letter of the Philemon is being hand-delivered to Philemon, along with the letter of Ephesus to the Ephesian churches and the letter to the Colossian churches. Apparently, Paul wrote those three letters during his Roman imprisonment, and was he was having those hand-delivered to uh, those three locations, to Philemon and then, then to those two churches. One of the reasons that we know that is because of the ending of Colossians chapter 4. Now, this is not The text of the message, the text of the message today is gonna come from Philemon itself. But at the end of Colossians chapter four, Paul writes these words in his final greetings. He says, Tychus, our dear, dearly beloved brother, faithful minister, minister and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all of the news about me. I've sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. As does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have comforted me. And then Paul goes on with his closing greetings to the Colossian church. But you see in that that Onesimus is traveling with probably Timothy, we find out later on, because Timothy uh, is a part of this this party, uh, and traveling to that area of Ephesus, Colossae, and the surrounding area to deliver this letter. So it's a very personal letter that Paul is sending to Philemon. Now we're gonna learn uh, from the letter when we read it in just a moment that Philemon uh, had been wronged by a a young man named Onesimus. Onesimus was uh, apparently a household slave, uh, somewhat. We're not gonna deal a whole lot, we don't have time to work through all of the history of slavery and Roman slavery. Uh, at that time, more than likely, Onesimus had some freedom. He was, he was probably more of an employee, but still was a slave under Roman law. Uh, without getting into in, into all of those issues today, uh, you'll find that Onesimus, though, wronged Philemon when he left town. And Paul is writing to bring restoration to that relationship. So what we're going to do, starting today, is we're going to spend three weeks, and we're going to read the entire letter to Philemon today. Next Sunday and the next Sunday. Today, we're going to look at the role of the Apostle Paul as the reconciler. Well, and, and we're going to start there because he's the one who wrote the letter. So I want us to see what's required. Who does God ask us to be as reconcilers? In Corinthians chapter 5 Paul says that all of us who are born-again believers, who have had a, a new heart implanted in us, are ambassadors of reconciliation. We are called to be reconcilers on behalf of God. And so we're going to study Paul and what he does, what we learn about him and Philemon, what's the role of a reconciler. Next week, we're going to look at, for reconciliation to take place, what's the role of the offended? What 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 was Philemon going to have to do to make things right? And then the third week, we're going to look at what Onesimus had to do to be made right. He's the one who had offended Philemon. And so we'll look at it. Starting today, we'll pay attention to just a few things that we note about Paul and how he addressed this issue. So read with me, the text of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon our dear friend and co-worker, to Afia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus." I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul as an elderly man and now as a prisoner of Christ Jesus appeal to you for my son Onesimus i became his father when i was in chains once he was useless to you but now he is useful both to you and to me i'm sending him back to you i'm sending my very own heart i want to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel he might serve me in your place but i didn't want to do anything without your consent So that your good deeds may not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you, for a brief time so that you may get him back permanently. For no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, I may benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me since I hope that through your prayers, I'll be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-worker. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ Be with your spirit let's pray quickly father thank you for your word the beauty of your word the challenges of your word lord even the cutting edge of your word that like a knife often cuts us deeply to remove the cancer and the sin and the hatred and the bitterness and the pride from our own hearts father let your word do its work today thank you for including this little letter, of Philemon, for us to read 2,000 years later, get some insight into how you were at work and relationships in the early church. Let your spirit speak, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What a beautiful letter. Uh, the more that I read that letter and reading it out loud to you, uh, it sounds even more wonderful, m- m- more appealing, more beautiful to me. I want you to notice what Paul does as he begins. Of course, you, you see his introduction, and Paul, he's, he's writing to Philemon. Note that he refers to, like, to Philemon both as a dear friend, as a co-worker, and later as a brother. Uh, Paul could not find any more affectionate language uh, than what he used in reference to Philemon, someone who he likely had led to faith in Christ, in which you see later on. Aphia is believed to be uh, Philemon's wife. Uh, she more than likely was a part of the leadership of that household where the church was was uh, being held. And then, though there's no one knows for sure who Archippus is, he is described here also as a fellow soldier and probably lived in uh, Philemon's household, either as a, a slave, uh, one of his children, or or who knows. But he is identified as a uh, also as a believer, a fellow servant uh, with the Apostle Paul, or fellow soldier with the Apostle Paul. And, and so Paul sends his greetings to those in Philemon's household, and then, then he extends that at the end of verse 2 and to the church that meets in your home. Most of us, uh, most of you are aware that uh, in 60 AD or around 65 AD, the early church, when these letters are being written, uh, the church did not meet in a nice big building like this. There, there generally were not uh, edifices, uh, uh, great sanctuaries that had been constructed for the church at that point. The church was meeting in homes. Oftentimes these homes, and and, and you see some of this if you visited the Middle East, and even when we were in South Asia and India, a lot of times the families would would build these homes. They would build one floor, but they were always prepared for the second floor. Uh, Almost every building that that I would see in India that was one story would have a rebar sticking out of the concrete uh, on the roof. That way, if the family grew, uh, more kids... Grandkids, friends came along. They would build a second story, and then on that roof, if there were two-story buildings, oftentimes they'd have rebar sticking out of them. And so you had flat concrete roofs. That roof would serve as a floor for the next building, and so you. But these these uh, homes would often be built with a big open space in the middle. They would cook in the middle. They would gather in the middle for. Uh, uh, family events. Uh, Of course, they didn't have TV or anything like that. So uh, that would be the gathering place. The living room, so to speak, oftentimes would be an open courtyard. That's the kind of environment that more than likely the the church would meet in. And in this case, Philemon was known to be a, a wealthy a landowner, a wealthy businessman. And so he probably had one of the better homes. And that's more than likely why the church met at his courtyard, at his home in the Lycus Valley. And so you, you get a picture here, Paul's writing back to him. Somewhere along the line, one of Philemon's servants left. His name was Onesimus. And we don't know exactly what happened there. Some believe that maybe Philemon sent Onesimus to the Apostle Paul to help him, and was supposed to, he was supposed to stay for a short period of time, and then extended his stay because he didn't want to go back home. That's not the likely scenario. The tone that you get from this letter was more than likely that uh, Onesimus fled for freedom, that he left his home, left his master and had, had fled and somehow came into contact with the apostle Paul in Rome. Now, you might guess, in fact, most would guess that Onesimus probably at least had some idea of who Paul was if Paul had led Philemon to the Lord and there was a connection back home. But in any case, a lot of that is just conjecture. What we do know is that Onesimus was wrong, that he had sinned against Philemon. And that because of his sin, by Roman law, uh, he could be put to death. He could be tortured. He could be beaten. There's all kinds of repercussions that could come upon him. In the meantime, though, when Onesimus fled to Rome and came in contact with the apostle Paul, Paul apparently befriended him for an extended period of time and led Onesimus to the Lord. Well, now it's gotten complicated because Onesimus is not just a runaway slave, but Onesimus now is a brother in Christ. And so not only is he Paul's brother in Christ, he now is Philemon's brother in Christ. And Philemon has a, uh, a, a as far as Paul's concerned, Philemon uh, has upon him obligations in how he treats a brother in Christ, even a brother who has egregiously sinned against him. I want to pause there for a moment because this is where the story really begins to hit home for us. None of us here are slave owners. None of us has had a runaway slave. But all of us have had Christian brothers and sisters who've sinned against us, some who have sinned against us egregiously some who were as close as family, some who were living in our own household, some who we sacrificed dearly for, who had sinned against us. Onesimus travels to the apostle Paul, comes to faith in Christ, and doesn't want to go back home. Paul really doesn't want to send him back home. But both Paul and Onesimus know that for things to be made right, Onesimus has to go back. Onesimus has to come face to face with his own sin, and so Paul, as he's writing this, appeals to Onesimus in three different appeals to Philemon in three different ways. And so I've kind of given you the big story, and I'll have to do that every week. But I want to focus now on Paul and what Paul does. The first thing you see Duke Paul do in the first paragraph following the introduction is Paul appeals to Onesimus based on their mutual faith. Paul refers to him, and we've already said in very uh, friendly language, in their introduction he refers to him as dear friend and co-worker, but that changes in that first paragraph. At the end of the first paragraph, Paul refers to him as a brother. See, the difference is, he's no longer just a co-worker, he's no longer just a friend, he's a brother in Christ. They have a, a relationship in Jesus together. Both of them have come to the understanding that outside of Jesus, outside of what Christ has done on the cross, they're destined to eternity in hell and that because of Jesus, they have new life and God has adopted them into the family and they are brothers in Christ. You know what that means? That means not only do they need to learn to get along, Philemon and Paul need to have a good relationship here because they're gonna live together in eternity forever. Forever. If you have a a brother in Christ, whether you've had a broken relationship there or not, you better learn to figure it out because you're going to be living with them forever. You might can avoid eye contact with somebody that that you can't get along with when you pass them in the grocery store a couple times. You might be able to avoid them for a month, six months, a year. But what about 5,000 years? 10,000 years. If you have a brother and sister in Christ, you've got to learn to get along with them because we're adopted in the same family. We're children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul recognized that their mutual faith had made them brothers. And then Paul boasts about Philemon's faith. He he talks about the evidence that had been put on display of Philemon's faith. I thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all of the saints. I hear of your love for all of the other brothers and sisters in Christ and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Philemon's faith had, had, had gotten famous, so to speak. Paul was hearing about Philemon's leadership, Philemon's growth, Philemon's role. And so Paul understood that Philemon had a a, a growing, vital faith. And then Paul boasts not just of Philemon's faith, but of Philemon's love. Philemon was not only growing his relationship with the Lord in faith, but I believe a consequence of that will always be you're going to grow in love. And so Paul points that out. He says, Philemon, we have a mutual love. I pray that, that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good deed that's in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love. And so Paul begins his, his address to Philemon by appealing to their mutual faith, the faith that they have in Christ. And the real impact of that faith as it's been fleshed out in encouragement and love toward one another. I think that that's a great place for us to always start. And maybe when we have a broken relationship with a brother or sister in Christ, we start by praying for them, praying for their faith, praying for their heart to be filled with love, praying and thanking the Lord for the the faith that they do display and the love that they do show. That's a great place for us to start. Always thank God in our prayers for our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we're wholly in agreement or not. I've I've found it to be true that when I get down on my knees and pray with someone that I have a disagreement with, that I have an issue with, it's hard to stay angry. It's hard to remain in that place of, of bitterness if we'll come together and pray. For one reason, when you get to hear a brother or sister pray out loud, their heart, their desires, their dreams, their hopes, their brokenness, our hearts connect with one another. Paul tells Philemon that uh, we have a mutual faith. Let's affirm our faith. Let's affirm that we're on the same team. I think sometimes we forget that. You know, I've talked about this in here, and I am so grateful that the Lord has blessed me with uh, at both churches, both full-time churches I've been at, First Baptist Church May, and here at First Baptist Photography, he's blessed me with with leaders and with deacons uh, that, that I have a great relationship with, that I love and that love me. And not that we don't have disagreements. Certainly throughout the years, there have been plenty of disagreements, both here and at my previous church. That's okay. But there's been a, a mutual affection and a mutual love and a mutual faith I don't know how many times I heard growing up and and when I was going to college and early in the ministry about the the battles between the deacons and the pastors and and the jokes that would be made from from pastors about their deacons. And I remember one pastor telling me he he, he had planted this church and the church had been going for a decade and he didn't have any deacons because deacons didn't do anything but cause trouble and get in the way. And, And that was imprinted on my brain as a young man. Somehow, we, 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 if we have that attitude, we forgot that we're on the same team. We may have disagreements. I may want to run a pass play, you may want to run an end around, but, but we're on the same team, okay? And, and we've got to come to a place where that's our beginning. We affirm our mutual faith in Jesus Christ. If it were not for Christ, we wouldn't be here in the first place. And so Paul affirms the mutual faith that he and Philemon have second. Paul appeals to Philemon based upon love. So for this reason, Paul says, I have great boldness in Christ. I could tell you what to do. Paul could pull out his apostle card and say, hey, I am the apostle. You're just a lowly pastor down there. Do what I tell you to do. Paul could also pull out his father card, spiritual father card, Philemon, if it weren't for me, you'd be going to hell anyway. You ought to listen to me, right? And he says that later on. Paul, Paul said, look, I could, could pull out that card. I'm your spiritual father. Paul could pull out his rights card. I have the right to demand this of you because I'm the apostle or because I am your spiritual father. But Paul does not appeal to his right or his authority. Paul appeals to their mutual love. And Paul addresses this in the text because if you have to force a Christian, if you have to force a brother to do something by claiming your rights or claiming your authority, it's probably not going to be accomplished wholeheartedly anyway. And so Paul, instead of claiming his right or his authority, Paul approaches Philemon based on love. Paul doesn't demand Philemon do anything. Paul tells him, Because I know your faith and I know your love. This is what I expect of you and this is what I'm asking of you. Philemon still gets to make the decision. Paul used the term free will in this text. I know that just saying that bothers a few of the Calvinists in here. That's okay. We love each other. <laughs> Paul expects Philemon to do the right thing. He expresses uh, his desire for Philemon to do the right thing. He does so based on their mutual faith and on their mutual love, but he does not demand it of Philemon. If he had demanded it of Philemon, I believe there'd always be a little bit of, of a bitterness back there. If somebody comes to me and says, it's my right, I deserve I'm going to approach that differently than if somebody comes to me on the basis of love and the basis of a mutual relationship and a mutual friendship. And so, Paul, I believe that if we follow Paul's example, we're in a lot better shape. If we learn to approach in love, not demanding things based on a position of authority or our rights, Christ has given Onesimus, I mean, has given Philemon new purpose in life. He's given him new life. And so Paul is appealing based on that, uh, essentially that, that God has done a work in you, Philemon. If it were not for what God had done in you, you wouldn't even be in this position anyway. God has blessed you, Philemon. And then he goes on to say that essentially that what's taken place in Onesimus' life, this transformation in him has made him much a much better person and you're a lot better off because of it. Right, no question asked. Onesimus fled, he's in the wrong, he sinned against Philemon. But look at what God's done in the meantime. God transformed him from being a slave to a brother. And not only because of that, because he's a brother in Christ, has he become much more useful to me. God's used him in my life to minister to me and encourage me to be there for me your beloved brother, but also when he comes back to you, he's gonna be a better person. He's no longer a slave, Philemon, he's your brother. And he's gonna to wanna to serve you with a new vigor and, and, and a new purpose because of what Christ has done in him. Philemon, if you handle this right, it's gonna be a boon to you, to your household. You're going to be so much better off if you will show the love and the grace and the mercy that Christ has shown you. And so Paul pleads with Philemon based on love, the love that he had received from Christ, based on the love that he'd received from the apostle Paul, and based on the love that Paul had seen in Philemon's heart already. And then finally, when you come to the last paragraph, you notice Paul goes a step further. And I, I want to... Drill in on this for just a moment. Paul, at this point, he's appealed on the basis of the mutual faith, he's appealed on the basis of love, and now he's going to make an offer. Paul doesn't owe Philemon anything. He doesn't. Onesimus owes Philemon. Lost productivity. He owes Philemon because of his sin. Onesimus owes a debt to Philemon. Probably a debt that Onesimus can't afford to pay. So watch what Paul does. Paul says, welcome him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul, I, Paul, Write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I, I will pay Onesimus' debt. I'll repay whatever he owes you. I'll, I'll repay with interest. I don't owe you anything, Philemon. In fact, Philemon, you owe me. You owe me your very life. You owe me your very self, Paul says. You owe me your very soul in a very real way. And Paul doesn't hold that over his head, but Paul mentions it because Paul doesn't owe Philemon anything. Philemon owes Paul his eternity because Paul's the one who shared Christ with Philemon. And Philemon knows that. I don't owe you anything, but I will pay you everything that Onesimus owes you. Why would Paul do that? Why would Paul go to that extreme? Well, first, one of the easy things that I would say is because Paul valued Onesimus and Philemon, unity in the body of Christ, and unity in their relationships, above finances, above money, above anything else. Paul didn't have to have it his way, Paul was willing to sacrifice from his own finances to make things right in the church. I think that's a great place for us to start, folks. What do we value most? Do we value the, the, the relationships that we have within the body of Christ? Or do we value those relationships enough that we're willing to, to go the extra mile to, to pay what, 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 what we don't even have to pay? How much is, is that worth? Without going into a long story, my, I'm very proud of my wife, as I often am. Susan uh, accepted a, a new position this week and a new job. And it wasn't the place that she really wanted to be, but it was a place that God was leading her. So it's kind of like the Jonah story we studied last week. Uh, God delivered her, put her where He wanted her, and He's taking care of it. She really wanted to be at a different job. She wanted to be at a high school position. And, and not for the money, but the high school position would have paid more She accepted the job, gave her word, and the next morning got a call from the high school offering her an interview. Nobody in here even has a question what my wife did. She called the high school, thanked them, and turned down the interview (laughs) because her word, her integrity, the relationships are worth more than any amount of money We've gotta get to that point, folks. What do we value? Paul valued Philemon and he valued Onesimus and he valued the church that met in that home. And he was willing to sacrifice financially because it mattered to him. But please, please don't miss this connection. Onesimus had a debt he could not repay. Paul took upon himself a debt that he did not owe so that Onesimus could be free. See, I believe that the real reason that Paul did that was because Paul knew that he owed a debt that he could not pay. Just like you owe a debt that you can't pay and I owed a debt that I could not pay. My sin put me in a position of separation and there's no amount of good deeds, there's no amount of money, there's no way that in all of my lifetime in a hundred of my lifetimes that I could repay God for my sin. I owed a debt to God that I could not repay. And God... Through his son, Jesus, says, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you anything. In fact, you owe me. But nevertheless, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to pay your debt so that you can be free. See, it's God paid a debt Jesus, his son, paid a debt that you and I could not pay so that we could be set free from our sin and set free from the wrath and punishment that we deserved, just like Onesimus deserved wrath and punishment. God paid our debt so that we could be set free and that our relationship could be restored that we could have a a, a love relationship with a holy God that was not hindered by our sin, was not hindered by our debt. God paid that debt on our behalf through the very blood of his own son. What a beautiful picture. I'm I'm not equating Paul with Jesus here, but I believe that Paul, understanding the depth of his own sin. And that God offered him an out by sending Jesus to die for him. Paul remembered that. And he wanted to to then offer that opportunity to others in his life. We can be reconcilers like the Apostle Paul But we're only gonna get there if we begin with an incredible gratitude and an incredible depth of understanding that we owe a debt that we cannot pay. We have no hope of repaying that debt. Onesimus, by every right, could have gone back to Philemon and been beaten and put to death. Scripture says that because of our sin, We deserve to be put to death, to die and to be eternally separated from God. Paul was willing to step in and pay that debt. Christ stepped in on my behalf and on your behalf and paid your debt so that you could be set free. If you have never heard that story, you've never put your faith in the love of Christ and what he's done for you, That's the crux of a gospel from Philemon. God loves you and wants a restored relationship with you and has offered you the blood of his son, has offered to pay the penalty of your sin so that you could be made right with God, just as Paul offered to pay Onesimus' penalty. All God's doing is is holding it out to you and saying, Would you receive my gift? The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's many in this world who aren't going to believe it. Many of you are questioning. Many have rejected that gift. If you reject that gift, that's on you. God's made the offer. But if you'd like to receive that gift and you'd like to find out what it means, and if you're watching us online, reach out to us. Reach out to me, Nathan. Reach out to somebody on staff. Click click that connect button or, or there's a decision button on there. If you want to pray about it, click the prayer button, call us. But if you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, you've asked him to cleanse you of your sin and to make you right with God, I'm going to plead with you, don't leave here until you make that right. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.